Welcome to Real Men. If uh, you're new, you're in the right place with the best guys, amen? And so what we believe is that men need to find their guys that they're gonna run with, that our world is filled with a lot of chaos, a lot of pain, a lot of disruption, a lot of stupidity, a lot of insanity. And all you need is a couple of brothers to come alongside guys that are like-minded that can be good buddies for the journey through life. And you're gonna find those guys here. And so it's just an honor to have you. And it's always an honor to teach. And if you are new or joining us online, uh, my name is Pastor Mark. I teach uh, generally through books of the Bible. And uh, what we do for real men is we do specific leadership application points for men. And uh, let me just tell you what we're doing tonight. We're gonna be at the end of Romans 11, beginning of Romans 12. And uh, we're gonna continue having real men through the end of May. And then for uh, June and July, we're gonna do something different during the summer on Wednesday nights. Now, you're gonna love this. And uh, for the people online, you can't be involved, so you're gonna hate this. But what we're gonna do is uh, we're gonna come together on Wednesday nights, we're gonna blow up the inflatables, we're gonna have a water slide park in the back for your kids, we're gonna give them popsicles. My wife, Grace, and I are gonna pre-record a very short little lecture on a book of the Bible called The Song of Solomon. And uh, if you've never read it, this will be your favorite book of the Bible you've ever studied in your whole life. And uh, it's about how to have great intimacy and sex with your wife. Anybody think that's a good idea? Amen, okay, yep. And all you single guys, just weep bitterly or find a wife by June, okay? You got till June. And then what we're gonna do is we're gonna do this little lecture on the Song of Songs, and then we're gonna send you on a date night and you get to go out to dinner with your wife or whatever you wanna do, no judgment, we're New Covenant. And, uh, and, then, and then we're gonna watch your kids, but I'm just asking, please come back and pick them up. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> and so what we wanna give you guys for the summer is for those of you who are married or you're engaged, or maybe you got a girlfriend and you wanna study all the things you can't do, you could join us on Wednesday nights for frustration, I guess. But nonetheless, um, we wanna give you free date night all summer with your wife. So go home and tell your wife that, that we love her and uh, you need to practice what I preach. It's just gonna go really good for you if that happens, amen? Okay, that being said, uh, where we're at tonight, we're, um, we're dealing with something at the end of Romans 11, beginning of Romans chapter 12, and it's worship. And so I wanna talk a little bit about worship. And for men, I think this is one of the hardest aspects of the Christian life is worship. Because as men, number one, most of us tend not to be very arty and creative, right? Now, a couple of you are, we could tell. You got skinny jeans, tattoos, you got, you know, fun hair, congratulations. Okay, but for the rest of us, we're not super arty and creative. In addition, most men are not super emotional, okay? Most men have two emotions, hungry and asleep. Those are their emotions, okay, that's it. In addition, as men, we tend to think of worship as just something that we do publicly in church singing. How many guys are not super excited about singing in front of other people? We tend not to do this. So it involves emotion, expression, public creativity, things that men really, really struggle with. But I wanna give you uh, Paul's definition of worship and I want it to be a lens for you as a man to look at your whole life and the decisions that you make. And so let me start by talking about uh, five worship myths. These are misunderstandings that men oftentimes have. The worship is for Christians. Here's what you need to know. Everybody worships, not just the Christian. Because we were made by God, we're made in the image and likeness of God, we were made to worship God, everybody worships. Different people just worship in different ways. Uh, Christians worship in one way, non-Christians worship in another way. Okay, and so it's not just a, a, a Christian issue, worship is a human issue. 
Some guys have the kind of enthusiastic zeal for college sports or strip clubs or the stock market or a political campaign as Christians do for Jesus Christ. Everybody kind of picks their group and finds their devotion and that is their object and opportunity for worship. So worship is not just something for Christians. Number two, uh, worship starts and stops. We tend to think of worship as something, okay, we sang two songs, now we're done worshiping. What you're doing right now is worshiping. You're worshiping God by listening and seeking to learn. When you leave here and you seek to obey, that's worship. Worship is something for human beings, not just Christians. And it's not something that starts and stops. It's something that is continuous. You're always pouring yourself out for someone or something. You're always pursuing someone or something. You're always seeking to please someone or something. All of that is worship. It never starts and stops. And uh, number three, the uh, third myth is that it only happens in church. Uh, You could worship in your car, you can worship in your house. Some guys worship at a strip club, some guys worship at a sports bar, some guys worship at uh, Barrett-Jackson, some guys worship at a golf course. Uh, Worship happens all over the place, okay? And it doesn't happen just in church. Now we do come together to worship in church, but worship happens before we get here and worship happens after we leave here. It's part of life. Uh, but it's the part of life that is for all of life, okay? That being said, the next point is that worship is only a genre of music. Worship includes music to be sure. The Bible talks a lot about singing new songs to the Lord. And uh, some people will get uh, sort of judgy. Religious people get judgy about music. Like, why do you need to have a sound system? Why do you need to have lights? Why do you need to have a smoke machine? That's That's all very secular. The truth is, as you look in the book of Revelation, it gives us a vision into the unseen realm, into the presence of God. There's singing, there's instruments, there's smoke, there's lights. Here's what I'm telling you. God has AVL. That's what I'm telling you. When you get to heaven, sound light video. And so when we get together, we have sound light video. God has sound light video in the unseen realm in his presence. And so when we get together, we're not just copying something that happens in concerts and pubs and bars, they're copying what happens in God's presence. I'm telling you that great sound and great bands and singing and celebrating is not something that Satan created, it's something that God created and Satan corrupted. But when we get to heaven, the Bible says there's gonna be a great light show, amazing sound, new songs, lots of instruments, and also there's going to be smoke. So apparently God even threw in a smoke machine. So for those of you who are rather judgy and religious, you're like, why do we need all this? Because we wanna worship like we will forever and it's gonna be awesome. But worship is not just a genre of music. It includes a genre of music, uh, but it, it is more than just a genre of music. It's not just the songs that we sing, it's the thoughts that we have, it's the decisions we make, it's the dollars we spend, it's the lives that we lead. All of life is worship and music is certainly a part of it, but not the totality of it. Lastly, number five, worship is for women and children, but not for real men. This is very, very common and true. 60% of church attenders are female. There's 11 to 13 million more women than men in church. A lot of the songs that are sung on the Christian radio are safe for the whole family. And the point of most Christian worship is that mom would turn it on in the car and it would be safe for the children. I have a wife, I want her to worship God. I have five kids, I want them to worship God. But the key is that worship can't just be something for women and children, it needs to also be for men. And one of the most powerful things that a wife and kids can see is a man who worships in all of life, but also in singing to God publicly. 
And what happens oftentimes is we have uh, a genre of music that is pleasing oftentimes to women and young children, but not to men, but not to men from the vocal intonation to the songwriting, to the ballads, to the emotional trajectory. Most guys are like, yeah, that's, that's a little too emotional, a little too arty and a little too feminine for me. And I know that sounds judgy, but it's true. And the result is that most guys will go toward other genres of music because that one doesn't particularly speak or appeal to them. Now, when we go to the Bible, there's a guy named David. He's the chief songwriter and musician, and he also, kills a ton of people. So I'm guessing it didn't look like he was Elton John's opening act. That's what I'm just assuming about King David. He wasn't bedazzled with you know, a lot of crying. He, he, he murdered people and wrote songs. And so there is a way for men to worship in a masculine way. And one of the things that we wanna build here at the Trinity Church is an environment where men worship without women and children feeling uninvited or uncomfortable. And I believe that women and children, but let's say particularly women, can feel more comfortable in a masculine environment than a woman does in a feminine environment. How many of you have taken your girlfriend, your wife to a sports bar? Okay, if not, you should, okay? How many of you, she's never taken you to a nail salon? Okay, if you've been, stop, don't go anymore, don't go anymore. Because women will feel more comfortable sometimes in a male environment than a man will in a feminine environment. But if the majority of leadership and decision makers in the church are feminine, they're gonna just make decisions that they feel more comfortable with, not understanding that sometimes men don't feel as comfortable, okay? And so it's not just a genre of music, but what we wanna have is a church where men are welcome to worship God as men and women and children feel safe and welcome and loved in that environment. That being said, uh, here is uh, non-Christian worship. So we're gonna look at non-Christian worship and then Christian worship. And he told us this early on in Romans chapter one, verse 25. So we're just gonna do two sections of Romans as we're going through this book together. Romans 1:25. they exchanged the truth of God or the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed, amen. What Paul is saying here is that we're all made by God and we all worship. And there's only two categories by which people worship. They worship the creator or they worship the created. That's it. It's really that simple. We tend to think of, are you male, female, young, old, rich, poor, black, white, Democrat, you know, Republican, and God's like, do you worship creator or creation? Those are the two categories, okay? And so the way that non-Christians worship or even Christian men worship in a non-Christian way is by inverting. And what happens is, we take a good thing, we make it a God thing, that makes it a bad thing. Okay. So let me ask you this, what are some things, created things, maybe not even bad things, that men can devote themselves to in a way that is like worshiping it? So drugs. So we'll do one at a time. You guys got a lot of vices, slow down. We gotta go one at a time here, okay? <laughs> um, so, so drugs, so what drugs says is, that ultimately it promises something that it never delivers. See, because again, they exchange the truth for the lie. Under the worship of a created thing is always a lie. The lie with something like drugs is, this is going to take away your problems. This is going to make you feel better. Is that the truth? No, it's a lie. And once you start you know, worshiping drugs, meaning 
Your time goes to drugs, your money goes to drugs, your marriage goes to drugs, your job goes to drugs, your health goes to drugs. What you're doing now, you're making sacrifices. You know what that is? That's worship. You're sacrificing your time, you're sacrificing your money, you're sacrificing your marriage, you're sacrificing your health for drugs. So literally, you're worshiping the drugs. Do the drugs deliver the promise that they make? No because they lie. See, the difference is when you worship the real God, he tells you the truth and it leads to life. If you worship anything other than God, it's a lie and it leads to death. And this is where some guys, when they reach the point of addiction, really for them, they've worshiped themselves into trouble. They've got to worship themselves out of trouble. Otherwise, what happens is you worship yourself into addiction and then you just trade one addiction for the other. So you're worshiping drugs, and now you start worshiping alcohol. You're worshiping alcohol, now you worship your job and you keep working. What happens is men change what they worship, but until they worship God, they're never really free because they're enslaved to something that is lying to them. And the point is this, God is good and everything he made is a gift for us to steward and enjoy. So sex is not bad, it's good. Uh, pleasure is not bad, it's good. Comfort is not bad, it's good. Wealth is not bad, it's good. Food is not bad, it's good. Unless the good thing takes God's place and then we exchange the truth for the lie. We're not worshiping the creator by enjoying what he has given us appropriately. We're worshiping the created. And this is where the addiction cycle and imbalance and unhealth and self-destruction kicks in. So we dealt with drugs. Give me another one. What's another thing that's created that guys really find very exciting, pretty interesting, get pretty into? Sex, Sex women. Let's just hope we keep those in the same category, okay? Uh, <laughs> Shouldn't have said that, but it is a helpful point that I just made. Okay, so, so, okay, so, so there is a creator and God created us male and female. Everything that God made, he said was good. He made the woman, he said it was very good. Every guy ever since agrees, okay? Everything that God made was beautiful, but what was the last thing that God created? The woman, you know what that means? That's the most amazing, beautiful thing he made. Save the best for last, okay? And so what happens then is God creates Eve, brings her to Adam. She is wearing nothing, okay? A lot of you single guys, hear me in this. It started that she was naked and perfect. And those days are gone. Okay, those are over, amen? Genesis 3 is gone. Every single guy, they read the first two chapters of the Bible, like, I'm in. You gotta read the third one. It's never been the same since. It's all gone downhill. <laughs> she's not perfect and she's got four layers. Like it's all different now. Okay, that's how it works. So when God gets done, uh, I gotta be very careful. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. Um, and for those of you on the internet, thank you for the opportunity to block you. So nonetheless, um, <laughs> God makes the woman, brings her to the man. She's naked and perfect, okay? And he really blew it. We all have sense. Adam sees his wife. Do you remember what he says to her? Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman for she was taken from man. These are the first recorded words of any man in human history. A man didn't even speak till a woman showed up. Probably because he didn't need to, okay? <laughs> right? So, the woman shows up and he, in, the, in the Hebrew, what he says to her is a Hebrew poetic love song. You know why? Musicians always have the advantage. 
They just do, right? They just do. This is why if you like a gal and a guy with a guitar likes her, you need to pick another gal. Like you just can't win that fight. That's like a superpower. You know, even if he doesn't have a job, if he's got a guitar, he's got an advantage. What do you call a musician without a girlfriend? Homeless, okay, that's how this works, okay? So Adam sees Eve, <laughs> he sees Eve and he sings to her and she's amazing to him. Ever since that time for a man, what is the most amazing created thing that God made? Female, how do I know? You can take the Grand Canyon, you can park in front of it a Bugatti Veyron, you can put in front of it a woman and the man will not know that there is a Bugatti or the Grand Canyon. <laughs> Amen? Amen. Right, we can be honest, or at least some of us can, that, um, that ultimately the most amazing, interesting, exciting thing that God made was the woman. Most beautiful, incredible, majestic thing to behold. So, should we, okay, this is not a trick question. If you're married, should you enjoy all of life, be careful with this, with your wife, including the sexual relationship? Yes or no? Yes. But can you become so consumed by sex, passion, pleasure, nudity? God made them naked, no shame. There doesn't need to be shame in this, though there can be. That all of a sudden, the gift that God gave becomes your new God. Okay, it happens, right? This is where men watch, I don't know if you've heard of this, there's something called pornography. This is where guys keep looking at it. It's like, no, 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 this is a gift that you've now turned into a God. The creator created a woman, they're beautiful, but now you're lusting after a woman that is not yours. That's a violation of one of the 10 commandments because to worship God is to be devoted to your wife not to be devoted to sex, okay? And this is where what happens is God gives us good things. We worship them rather than the creator. And the result is we're sinning against the creator by worshiping the created, okay? This happens, true? This is why in Job 31, one, he said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon a woman lustfully. This is why Paul says in the New Testament, be a one woman man. And what some guys will think is, well, I just love sex. Okay, sex is a gift from God, but your wife is a gift from God, okay? So I'm verbal processing here with you guys, but let me ask you this. Did God give you a standard of beauty or a wife? A wife. This is crucial. That means your wife is your standard of beauty, okay? And some of you guys are like, I don't agree with this. All the dads agree with me. When some guy comes up and says, I wanna marry your daughter, you want that guy to say, I don't have a standard of beauty that I compare your daughter to. I have your daughter as my standard of beauty, amen? All of us dads, that's what we want, right? When God made Adam and Eve and brought the first woman to the first man, how many women were there? One, you know what that is? His standard of beauty. That's what it means to be a one woman man. That we need to train our minds to think like Adam and Adam only had one woman and we should be thinking and acting like there's only one woman on planet earth, and that's our wife. And so what I always like to say is, God didn't give us a standard of beauty, he gave us a spouse as our standard of beauty. So when, so when you're married, let's say both of you are 22, how old is your standard of beauty? 22. 
When you're 42, both of you are 42, say within marriage, how old is your standard of beauty? 42, it's no longer 22. When you're 62, both of you, how old is your standard of beauty? 62, okay, what that means is for her, when you married her and you had a lot of hair, she was into hair. A little while later, she's into hairy feet. She's had a transition, okay? <laughs> she's into a hairy back, okay? Uh, she's not into a hairy head because that's over. And the point is this, that sometimes we can lock into a standard of beauty. And even if we meet someone that matches our standard of beauty over time, we all age. Gravity is undefeated, just so you know. In the history of the world, gravity's undefeated. And we all age. And if we have a standard of beauty that is not our spouse, and then even if we marry someone that matches our standard of beauty, eventually they no longer match our standard of beauty. And this is where we start to lust and covet. We start to long for other people. We start to lust after other people. And as we lust after other people, eventually if we don't commit adultery of the hands, Jesus says we commit adultery of the, of the heart, of the heart. And so again, what happens is we either worship the creator or the created. For the guy who is having sex outside of heterosexual marriage, let me just tell you this, you've exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And you have worshiped and served created things rather than the creator God. If you wanna go home and read the rest of Romans 1, it talks all about sexual sin of every sort and kind because those who worship the created rather than the creator, invariably the most likely candidate is sexuality because the human body is the most amazing thing that God made and the pleasures that it brings are the most unprecedented and unparalleled. Now, the way God did this, if you will, if you will worship the creator by enjoying and stewarding the created, God will actually bless that sexual union to not only allow you to have a healthy, clear relationship with God, but to literally fuse and bond you together with your spouse. So there is, I'm way off my notes, but just if you hang with me, let me just verbal process a little bit. There's a guy named Christian Struthers. He wrote a book called Wired for Intimacy. He's a Christian neuropsychologist in the latest brain studies and um, and chemical surveys indicate that when two people come together for sexual intimacy, the, uh, the enjoyment that comes from their mutual satisfaction, literally, physically, biochemically, hardwires and bonds them together as one. Uh, some will call it a biochemical love potion. It affects the same part of the brain, an orgasm does for a man, as heroin. If you've ever seen a guy on heroin, he's into it, amen? And once he's into it, it's really hard to, to get out of it. God wants you to be so connected to your wife at the neurological, at the biophysical and the chemical, the emotional, the spiritual level that literally the two become one flesh. That's God's intent. And what this means is, for a man who worships the created and he just worships sex and nudity and pleasure, God doesn't ultimately bless that. He doesn't have full satisfaction in that because that's not how God designed or intended it. And he's working against God's design and creation. This is where guys become sex addicts and porn addicts and all of those kinds of things. Now, again, way off my notes, but 
surveys have shown that men who, for example, visit prostitutes, do you think that they visit multiple prostitutes or keep going back to the same prostitute? They keep going back to the same prostitute. Why? Because God hardwired and built us for oneness. And even when we're wrong and sinning and violating and rebelling, we fall into the rut that God created for us. We're still looking to be one with someone, okay? And so the point is this, if you are trying to work outside of God's intended design for you as a man, you will worship the created rather than the creator. And you're exchanging the truth for the lie. The truth is God's way's better. The lie is there's a way that's better than God's. So worship God and eat a healthy diet. Don't become a glutton. Worship God and drink in moderation. Don't become an alcoholic. Worship God and enjoy life with your wife. Don't become a pervert. Worship God and work your job as an act of worship. Don't worship your job and become a workaholic. Do you see how this works? What I wanna do, men, is I wanna take your whole life and I wanna have you see it from God's perspective. Because we tend to think, well, that's pleasure, that's recreation, that's entertainment, that's fun. And God says, that's all worship. So seeing this, sensing this, are non-Christian men worshiping? Oh yeah. They're worshiping drugs, that's the drug addict. They're worshiping alcohol, that's the alcoholic. They're worshiping work, that's the workaholic. They're worshiping sex, that's the sex addict. They're worshiping pornography, uh, that's the porn addict. Um, they are worshiping their reputation, that's their constant reputation management. Um, they're worshiping their children, so they're wanting their children to grow up and be little trophies that show the world how successful they were. Uh, some of them worship their spouse, so they're always seeking the approval of their spouse. Some people worship their spouse's beauty, so they keep pushing their wife to have a certain appearance to be the trophy that shows their victory. Every man is worshiping someone or something. Some guys worship their golf game, some guys worship their bass boat, some guys worship their hunting rifle. Every guy worships something. The question is not, do you worship, but how do you worship? Where do you worship? When do you worship? Why do you worship? All of those things are the differentiation. The unifying factor is we're all worshiping. Does this make sense? So the point is guys, we worship our way into trouble. So guess what? We worship our way out of trouble, okay? If you're like, well, I, I, I have a porn problem. I have an alcohol problem. I have a food problem. I have an anger problem. I, and every, let me just say this, every guy's got his thing. And what I don't want us to do is your thing is different than their thing. So you look at them and you think, oh, that's disgusting. They're thinking, oh, I was thinking the same thing. Uh, there's an old Puritan named Thomas Brooks. He wrote a book called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. And he gives this analogy of uh, fishing. That's so Pastor Darian, our, our resident fisherman. So Pastor Darian, uh, what, what fish do you like to fish for, my friend? Cutthroat trout. Cutthroat trout. What kind of bait do you need to catch a cutthroat trout? I know he's good at this because in his office, every time I walk by, he's watching YouTube videos of fishing. So <laughs> he's, he's, he's being discipled. So he's not just a fisher of men, he's a fisherman. That's Pastor Darren, okay? Uh, so you like to find cutthroat trout. What is, the, what is the bait that they like the best, my friend? A fly that imitates a bug. Okay, what's your second favorite kind of fish to fish for? Uh, would be a, rainbow. a rainbow. And what is the favorite bait of a rainbow? A bug. Similar bug? So different fish have different bait. 
I'm asking, I don't know anything about fishing because fish are at the store and I don't get up early. I sleep in and I go to the store. I, 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 I really simplify the process, right? Okay. What, what Thomas Brooks says in his book, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, and I'll just use the analogy, is that men are like fish and Satan knows that we all prefer different kinds of bait. So for one guy, it's like sex, another guy, money, another guy, power, another guy, reputation, another guy, um, children and their success, wife's appearance, you know, the car you drive, the hobbies you have, the friends you keep, the places you travel, the photos you post, every guy has different bait. True or false? True, we all do. And so this is where we need to have some humility and some compassion for each other and say, you got your bait, I got my bait. Yours is no better or worse than mine and vice versa is true. I care for you and I'm here to help and I, you care for me and you're here to help. And this is where as men, it's important to know what our bait is, okay? For each of us, it's, it's a different bait. For certain fish, you could put a bait on the hook. They're like, I've got no interest. But a certain fish, that bait is very tempting. There are guys in this room, alcohol is undefeated in their life. Okay, that is a bait. If they see it and they take it, it will defeat them. There are guys, it's that way for pornography. They're not gonna look at one photo. They're gonna be just flooded for hours and days and months and years. It's all or nothing. There are guys that are that way with food. Once they start eating, rather than inviting the Holy Spirit to comfort them, they bring in comfort food, okay? And some guys, um, it's power, whatever the case may be. We've all got different baits, okay? And as men, we wanna be honest and say, each guy's got his struggle and we don't wanna be judgmental and say, your struggle is worse than mine, okay? Because every man worships. How does the Christian man worship? I'll close this last section. Romans 11, 36 through 12, one. This is a Christian definition of worship. It is the bridge between chapter 11 and 12. To him, who's that? To God, to Jesus Christ. Be glory. This concept of glory is who or what is in the preeminent, prominent position in your life. Who or what is heaviest uh, forever. Meaning the worship of our God is not something that stops. Once we start worshiping him, we need to keep worshiping him forever. He says, amen. That is, yes, I agree, be it so. This is like in a sporting event where everybody gets up and cheers because they're agreeing with what's happening. I appeal to you therefore, brothers. There's really, there's really language here about what we're doing. See what I'm doing here, I'm appealing to you as my brothers and around the tables, you're gonna to appeal to one another as brothers and through the week with encouraging calls and texts and emails, you're gonna to appeal to one another. You're like, you're my brother and I want good for you. And so, you know, how can we encourage one another to continue worshiping our God? By the mercies of God, here's the good news guys, our God has what? Mercy. How many of us have, worshiped created things rather than the creator? All of us? And you know what? Our God is a God of mercy. He doesn't rub your nose in it and say, see, this is who you are and this is what you do. What he says is, hey, let's get you out of this and, and let's, let's have you be who I saved you to be. Let me just say this, guys. We all need mercy. We've all worshiped someone or something other than God. And let me just say this. I feel inclined in the spirit to say it. Some of you religious guys are smug and you'll say, I, I've not. You worship religion and control and self-righteousness. You worship religion, control, and self-righteousness. And for you, the bait on the hook is judging everyone and not allowing God to judge you. 
So we've all got our thing. And if you don't have your thing, your thing is religion. Your thing is the worst thing. Those are the guys who murdered Jesus, not the drunks. The drunks didn't crucify Christ. The religious guys did. So if you're hearing this and you're like, I'm so glad I don't struggle. You're proud. That's the worst struggle. Okay. By the mercies of God to present your bodies. Worship is sometimes what we sing, it's always what we do. And worship is in our body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, it's worship. So worship is three things. Number one, who or what is in the glory position in your life? That's the big issue. The glory position is who or what is preeminent, prominent. What is most weighty or heavy? This concept of glory means it's heavy, it outweighs all else. Okay, so you know that something is in the glory position when it gets the best of your time, when it gets the best of your money, when it gets the best of your energy, what the Bible would call the first fruits. The first fruits demonstrate your first priority, okay? So who or what? And some people, let's just be really honest as men, for men sometimes what's in the position of glory can be work. I don't have time for church or prayer I gotta work. I don't have time to you know, go home for dinner with the wife and the kids, I gotta work. I don't have time to go to my kids' sporting event, I gotta work. Is work good? Yes. Can it be a created thing that takes the creator's place and inverts our priorities? And now we're not worshiping God through our working, we're worshiping our working, right? Is that true? Happens all the time. Who or what is in the glory position? If you live to just get home and have your drinks, if that is the finish line of your day, that's what you're living for, that's in the glory position, okay? Who or what is in the glory position of your life? Meaning I'm gonna make sacrifices so that whatever I lose, I won't lose that. That's now my highest priority, okay? Number two, the next question is, he says, uh, amen. And what this is asking is, what team are you on and what are you cheering for? Amen literally means, yes, Lord, I agree, be it so. When you're at a sporting event and something happens and everybody, all the fans jump out of their seat and they're cheering, that's the sports equivalent of amen. I love this, I like this, I, this is my team. This is my thing, this is what I'm into, this is what I'm for. There's an enthusiasm. And the point is that men will get very excited at a sporting event. Men will get very excited at the finish of a drag race. Men will get very excited at the Wasted Management Open here in Phoenix. I don't know if you've seen that. It's not the Waste Management Open, it's the Wasted Management Open. If you've been there, everybody's wasted and nobody's managing their alcohol. It's a situation. Okay, but different men will get really excited about different things and passionate. Passionate is not bad, but our passion needs to be for the creator to steward and enjoy the created. What team are you on? What are you cheering for? What are you amening? So what are, who is in the glory position? And let me just say this too, I feel inclined in the spirit to say this tonight. A lot of verbal processing tonight. One, I, I feel, let me just confess a sin to you. So when I got married to Grace, I put her in the glory position. I loved her with all my heart. I was 21 years of age. Um, I couldn't wait to be with her. But what I did is I handed her Jesus' job description. You need to be my friend. You need to 
comfort me. You need to encourage me. You need to bless me. You need to be present for me. You need to serve me. Uh, You need to be there for me. I need to be able to depend on you. Even a good wife is a bad Jesus. And to take anyone or anything and give them Jesus' job description is to destroy them and to destroy the relationship with them, right? Like if I look at my kids and say, all I need you to do is is Jesus. I just need you to be Jesus. I just wreck them. It's impossible. And so sometimes friends, what we do is in a glory position, it's not even something that we hate. It's someone or something we love so much that we put it in the place that only Jesus should be. And as a result, we put too much expectation and pressure on that person in relationship. Okay. Any of us done this? We've all done this, right? I did this with my wife, Grace. Finally, she looked at me and she's like, I'm not Jesus. I was like, well, I knew that, but apparently I forgot. Because I'm not starting with Jesus, I'm starting with you. And if you can't figure it out, then I talk to Jesus. I should have been talking to Jesus first and then coming to you. I had this inversion. Sometimes we worship people and things that we hate or we're scared of or we're addicted to. Sometimes we love someone or something so much that it escalates in our heart to the position that it's not in the position it should be and it's in the position of glory where God alone should be. And I've been guilty of that. And let me just say as a pastor too, as a confession, one thing the pastors do all the time, they put ministry in the glory position because everybody's like, look what they do for God. And sometimes it's like, yeah, but look what they don't do that God told them to do. Like love their wife and kids or, you know, have some other priorities. And sometimes what we can do as men, we can take even good things, we can elevate them into the glory position. And other people even think we're really godly and we're doing a great job. But the truth is God's saying, "Uh uh-uh, you're worshiping the created, not the creator. Who or what's in the glory position? Amen, what team are you on and cheering for? And then here's the big question, sacrifice. Who or what do you make the biggest sacrifices for? Worship is sacrifice, okay? When you decide you're gonna worship God, you're going to make some sacrifices. Your finances are gonna start with first fruits to God. Your schedule is gonna start with God being on the calendar as a priority every week. If your job requires you to work 100 hours a week, are you making some sacrifices? Yeah, you're sacrificing your health. I'll just tell you that. You're sacrificing your marriage, you're sacrificing your kids. Uh, Before we planted the church, one of the opportunities that I had was to travel a lot for ministry. It was like, instead of pastoring a local church, I could speak and travel. I hate being away from my wife and kids. I hate it. I go into a mild depression before I travel. Now I love to go preach the Bible and I love to try and help and serve people. And it's a grace of God to be able to do that. But for me, if I can't be with grace and the kids, I, I don't feel safe and I, and I don't feel healthy. It's just not good for me to be alone. I just don't like being alone. If grace is on the plane with me or she's in the hotel with me, I'm great. If I'm on the plane by myself and sitting in a hotel with a male assistant, it's just not as awesome. I'll just tell you that, okay? It's just not, I'm happy to report that. Um, for me, when it reached the point of what am I gonna do career-wise after I took a transition, one of the options was write and speak and travel. You know what I would have had to sacrifice? My health. I would have had to sacrifice time with grace. I would have had to sacrifice family dinner. I would have had to sacrifice going to my kids' sporting events, my boys' baseball games. 
I would have had to sacrifice my daughter every night, making sure she gives me a kiss on the head and I give her a kiss on the head before she goes to bed. Okay. And so I looked, I was like, man, I could travel and speak and write and it would serve the Lord, but am I willing to make those sacrifices? Answer, no. There's other people that can speak, but there's only one person who can give Alexia a kiss on the head at bedtime. There's a lot of people who can speak, but there's only one person who can sit in my seat at the dinner table with my family for dinner, okay? And so as men, you need to ask this question, what sacrifices am I making? You're either gonna make, we're either gonna make sacrifices for a created thing, like a hobby or a job or an addiction or a secret sin, or we're gonna make sacrifices so that we worship God at our work, that we worship God in our sex life, that we worship God with our money, that we worship God with our kids, that we worship God in how we treat his daughter who happens to be our wife. And so every man is going to worship someone or something, and every man is going to make sacrifices. The question is, creator or created, or it's, are the sacrifices to glorify God or to glorify someone or something else, okay? And I love you guys with all my heart. And it's a tremendous honor to teach you. And there's some incredible men in the room. And there's some men that have had some real deep-seated worship problems. They've gotten themselves into trouble and they've worshiped their way out. Rather than worshiping sex, they're worshiping God with their sex. Rather than worshiping their job, they're worshiping God with how they work their job. Rather than worshiping their wife, they're now worshiping God with their wife. Rather than worshiping their children, they're worshiping God with their children. Rather than worshiping their reputation, they're worshiping God and more concerned about his reputation. There are guys who were worshiping alcohol and now they're worshiping God by demonstrating the fruit of the spirit, which is self-control. Um, there are men in this room who had addictions and they were profound and passionate worshipers and now they're profoundly and passionately worshiping God. And we just wanna say that we honor that and wherever you're at in that continuing process, we just wanna help you take the next step. And we're the guys who are here to help, amen? Let me uh, tell you what we're gonna do in uh, question time and then I'll pray and we'll do a quick testimony. How do you feel expressing emotion, singing, worshiping in church? Okay. One guy says he loves it. The rest of you need to meet with him, okay? Uh, where else do you feel close to God outside of church? Are there places that you just feel the presence and the pleasure of God? I love creation. I love taking my Jeep when it's not broken up into the mountains. I got the Fisher Price edition. It keeps going down on me. Uh, but I love, I love hiking and I love being out in God's creation and praying and talking and listening and enjoying his presence. Number three, what does it look like to integrate worship into all of your life? What does worship look like when you're at home? What does worship look like when you're at work? What does worship look like when you're in your hobbies? Maybe golf or fishing or hunting. And then how can we be praying for you? And uh, if you'd give us the honor of praying for you, we would love to take that opportunity. Father, thanks for an opportunity to share from your word. And God, the truth is worship is, it's a human issue, not just a Christian issue. It's a life issue, not just a Sunday issue. It is an everyone issue, not just a someone issue. It's not just the songs we sing, it's the decisions we make, it's the dollars we spend, it's the sex we have, it's the jobs we work, it's the words that we say, and it's the lives that we lead. And God, thank you so much that you're a God of mercy. When we blow it, you're there to forgive and help, and you're always there to forgive and help again. And so God, I pray that there would be no condemnation on any of the men, but there would be encouragement to take the next step in Jesus' name, amen.